0: Thank you for listening to the Grace Harvest Church podcast. For more information, go to graceharvestchurch.org. You know, this is your year to trust God, to be your refuge, and to be your inheritance. This is the year for you, like never before, to trust God, to be your refuge, and your inheritance. That's my message today. I'm going to be speaking from Psalm 16 Psalm 16, and before I get into it, I want to give you a little background on the Psalms because I think it's important for us to understand the nature of the Psalms. Okay, first of all, this Psalm was written by David, okay? And David was a king, he was a shepherd boy, there's a, a whole story of the life of David and he was an amazing, amazing man and he, he, he won and, and, and succeeded big and he failed big too. He's a real picture to us of redemption. And um, it's important that we understand the context of the Psalms when we read them, because otherwise they can be really confusing. So the Psalms, there's 150 of them, and they're the book that God gave His people for worship and prayer. So if you've ever been like, I don't know what to say when I pray. I don't know, I don't really have prayer language. After a few, after five minutes of getting my needs before God, I kind of run out of things. The Psalms were made for you. Okay, and but we have to understand something. The Psalms express the entire spectrum of human emotion. Okay, they're poetry, they're poems, and they're songs that are written out of hearts that wanted more of God but lived in a sin-fallen world and saw lots of evil and experienced struggles internally and, you know, intense emotion. And these Psalms were written down so that we would have a way to express the things inside of us that confuse us and frustrate us and cause us to struggle. And they're, they're really incredible. Now, here's the thing. When we read the Psalms as Christians, we have to read looking back through the cross we have to see them as though the cross is a grid or a filter and we have to understand that Christ has died, Christ is buried, Christ is risen, Christ has ascended and he sent his Holy Spirit and now we have to see that when, when he ascended on high, the scripture says he asked the Father for all the nations of the world. So when Jesus rose from the dead and ascended, he changed something. He changed God's character so that, or not God's character, he changed God's expression of his character in that God was no longer just dealing with Israel and all of the Gentile, that is the unbelieving nations, but God now is dealing with all of the world and he wants all of the world to be in his family. And he's not just focused on one nation in the Middle East, he's focused on all the nations of the earth flooding into his kingdom. It's really important we understand that so that when we look back through the Psalms and we see David, for instance, praying in anger against his enemies and saying, punch them in the mouth and break their teeth and cut them open. He's saying things like that. And we're like, whoa, am am I supposed to pray that stuff to God? What he's showing us is it's okay with God when we've seen terrible evil happen in our world. It's okay to be ticked off about it and to bring that anger to God and express it to him. You have to remember, Israel had seen their nation um, invaded by the Babylonians and ransacked and their walls knocked down and their city burned and their men and their women and their children destroyed and killed right in front of their eyes. And they're expressing to God, these are called prayers of imprecation, imprecatory prayers where they're expressing to God, God, do something with the evil that's in the world Okay, so when we read the Psalms, we now have to read them through the heart of Jesus, the cross of Christ, and we have to understand that God's heart is for all the world. Amen? I want to tell you something. There have been many times that using the Psalms, I have found something that I, I haven't been able to express it to God, and as I'm reading the Psalms back to God and praying them, I found that thing that helps me say what I'm having difficulty saying. And it's been used for thousands of years. Most of the Psalms have been around for as long as 3,000 years. Think about this. And they've been used by Jews and Christians throughout all time that we might know how to pray. We might have words to sing to God and express our hearts to God. Does that make sense? Are you alive? Okay, Psalm 16. So let's look at Psalm 16. David is, is praying here. He's, he's, he's crying out to God and he says this. I want you to think of this in terms of the year to come. Keep me safe, O God, for I have come to you for refuge. I said to the Lord, you are my master. Every good thing I have comes from you. The godly people in the land are my heroes. I take pleasure in them. Troubles multiply for those who chase after other gods. I will not take part in their sacrifices of blood or even speak the names of their gods. "'Lord, you alone are my inheritance, my cup of blessing. "'You guard all that is mine. "'The land you have given me is a pleasant land. "'What a wonderful inheritance. "'I will bless the Lord who guides me. "'Even at night, my heart instructs me. "'I know the Lord is always with me. "'I will not be shaken, for He is right beside me. "'No wonder my heart is glad and I rejoice.'" my body rests in safety. For you will not leave my soul among the dead or allow your Holy One to rot in the grave. You will show me the way of life, granting me the joy of your presence and the pleasures of living with you forever. Amen. So we're going to take this psalm and kind of break it down into our life, and there's three main points I want you to get out of it with a number of subpoints. so i got to move quickly here. But the first thing, I, I just want you to think about this. This is a great psalm to use as a starting point to this new year. In this psalm, David cries out to God to be his refuge and then declares that God is everything to him, everything he needs. God is in every part of this psalm and ultimately seen as the one who gives David a blessed life in every way. David declares that God is everything he needs for his present, his future, and his death. David understood that the presence of God is the greatest joy and treasure of his life. With the year ahead of us filled with a lot of uncertainty, I don't know about you, but we've had 2020 and 2021. And some people have posted memes, you know, on different social media outlets that 2022 is like 2022, like also. (laughs) I'm like, no, Lord, let it not be. So with all the uncertainty we have, one thing that we can be certain of, and we've seen it the last two years, and that that is that that God can be trusted and will be everything we need Him to be if we'll only trust Him. So let's make the pursuit of knowing Him and trusting Him the ultimate pursuit of our year. And here's a challenge I want to throw out to you. I almost said throw up to you, but I don't want to be throwing up to anything on you. But here's a challenge I want to throw out to you. What if you took your goal lists your resolution lists, your, your plans? What if you took your plans and, number one, you just kind of inserted number one at the top of your plans for the year that you would get to know God more closely and more intimately this year than you ever have before? And that became your main pursuit. And along with that, you have to ask yourself the question, what would it take for that to happen? What do you need to change? What do you need to put into place for that to happen? But what if your main goal, because check it out, the scripture seems to indicate there's, there's a, the way we're wired as human beings, think about this, the way we're wired as human beings is if we make the vertical relationship priority and it becomes the number one pursuit of our life, a lot of the other stuff that's kind of confused and twisted around our life that we're trying to work out and figure out will somehow straighten out on its own. I don't mean everything. I don't mean life will become easy. But what I do mean is that many of us, it's almost like we're, we're, you know, we're chasing all these different little branches. We're trying to cut off all these branches of this thing that's growing all around us we call our life. But we're not dealing with the roots and if we deal with the roots and we make the knowing of God number one, most important in our life, our number one pursuit, a lot of the other stuff will work itself out. And you know what's funny about it is when God is like in your, central to you, in your vision, and you're pursuing Him, and it's, it's a struggle, but you're pursuing Him, something, something happens. You start to see everything else differently. And things that right now seem like they're important are not so important. They all kind of work themselves out. Is anybody with me? Amen? So the first point I want you to see from from this is that we can trust God as our refuge and the giver of good things. Look at what David says. He says, you can trust God to be your refuge and the good for you in this coming year. Keep me safe, O God, for I have come to you for refuge. I said to the Lord, you're my master. Every good thing I have comes from you. There's no one better to trust with your life than God. Let me tell you, if you've been trying to do life on your own, you've probably made a mess. And if you haven't, it's because you're too young to have messed your life up yet. Give it some time. Because a little bit of life goes by and you realize that without Christ at the center of it, you can really mess it up bad. No big amen there. He's our shelter. He's our refuge. He's our living ark and He's worthy of our complete trust. In your times of fear or uncertainty, you can go to Him. You can make Him your refuge. I want you to think about the idea of God as your refuge because we don't know what the future holds, both as individuals and as a nation. We don't know what's coming down the road. Unless the Lord has given you some kind of prophetic insight, you can't see what's over the horizon. But it really doesn't matter ultimately because what really matters ultimately is that God is trustworthy and he is, He's a safety and He's a bulwark and nothing can break down His walls and nothing can get through and touch us unless he allows it to. It's If we make him our refuge and not our 401k and not our future plans and not just our own hopes and dreams. If we make him our refuge, we'll ultimately be safe in his will. Yeah. Amen. Amen. So, kind of sub point next is you can trust God to provide godly heroes that will bring you joy. You know, this text really stuck out to me because you've heard me many times say, be careful that you don't put too much confidence in me or any of our pastors or leaders. Don't look to man. They'll disappoint you. People are going to let you down. They're going to fail you. And I'll say that because it's true. It's only a matter of time. You come to our church, you're apart long enough, and and people are going to let you down. They're just going to blow it Somehow. They're not going to meet your expectations. Maybe your expectations are wrong, but that doesn't really matter. The bottom line is people will disappoint you. But you know, sometimes we can go too far with that. And we forget that, you know, Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. So he indicated, that he said on another occasion, the things you see in me and you've learned from me, those things imitate those things. I'm like, man, that's really bold what was Paul saying? I walk with Jesus and I'm I'm going to provide you a pattern that you can follow and you can walk with Jesus too. Because there are heroes that God wants to give us. There are people in our life, the godly. David says, listen to what he says here. He says, the godly people in the land are my heroes. I take pleasure in them. That really struck me. And I began to think of the heroes in my life. Do you know there are people in this church that are my heroes? And there have been mentors in my life, men and women both, who have come across my life at just the right time. People who have patterned and modeled for me what it means to follow Jesus. People with passionate prayer lives. People who have evangelistic hearts. People who, who just seem to know how to dig into Scripture. People who have inspired something in me and they've caused me to go, I want to get closer to God. I want to know God more. I want to be more intimate with Jesus Christ because of them. And so I want to encourage you to not be afraid to let some people be heroes in your life. It's okay to have people to look up to. I remember when Peggy and I were first married, we were, you know, this young married couple. We were starting to have babies right away. We got married August 1st and had our first child July 10th. Wow. (laughs) do the math, that's less than 11 months, right? So, you know, we got busy. I'll just say that, okay? So we start having babies, right? And, you know, we both come from broken homes. We both come from homes where we didn't have necessarily good parenting patterns. We had some, some things that were positive. I'm not going to say it was all negative, but we didn't have some of the things we needed, right? And so what are we doing? We start looking around, Remember, huh? we started looking around like we're looking for older people, you know, people in their 30s and 40s <laughs> who have like teenagers and stuff, right, or who have already raised their kids. And, and we were looking for patterns and examples and heroes. We wanted to see it could be done. We wanted to see that people could raise their kids to be, you know, to, to not be total, complete wrecks. And we found people, and they inspired us. They had feet of clay. They failed, but they failed right. They failed well. Do you know what I mean by failing right and failing well? Failing well and failing right is when you fall on your face, you get back up and say, I failed and I blew it, and I'm really sorry. I'm not perfect yet. I'm not like Jesus. But get back up. We need heroes like that in our life. But then David says something profound. He says... Troubles multiply for those who chase after other gods. I will not take part in their sacrifices of blood or even speak the names of their gods. What's, what's the point here? Now, now, this is where we have to employ hermeneutics. And hermeneutics are the law and the science of Bible interpretation. So this is where we have to interpret, as I was saying earlier, with the motif or the principle of the cross. So David's saying, I won't even take their names on my lips. So, so you gotta understand, David came up in a world where Jews were God's people and all the Gentile nations of the world that were surrounding the Jews and wanted to destroy them needed to be wiped out. That's the way they looked at the world. We look at the world knowing that that is not the case. We look at the world looking through the cross, knowing that Jesus, when he ascended on high and gave the Holy Spirit, he told his disciples, go into all the world and make disciples of all the ethnos, all the nations. I want the world. I love all people. I want all people in my family, right? And so when David says this, this is where we need to trust God to show us the true state of those who need Jesus. Troubles multiply for those who chase after other gods. I will not take part in their sacrifices of blood or even speak the name of their gods. You see, we're to look back through the cross and recognize that without Christ, all people are desperate. We're in desperate need of his saving love and grace. As Christians, we can't be influenced by foreign gods or idolatry, but we must do all we can to see people reconciled to God through Jesus Christ. And by the way, if you think that idols and foreign gods are little things that sit on a stand that you bow down to, you don't understand the true nature of idolatry. John Calvin said this, it's very profound. He said, the human heart is a manufacturing plant for idols, we can come up with gods and idols like crazy. And I, I remember hearing one time about a guy who was at a Bible college here in the States years ago, and he came over to this Bible college. He was from Africa, and, uh, and they were asking him one day, you know, like, what's, what's it in some place in Africa? What, what's it like Like in some of the villages? Are, are they like worshiping and bowing down? To, I mean, it must be terrible coming from a place with all this idol worship. And he said, oh, I've never been anywhere in my life that has more idols and false gods than America. It's true. All you have to do is look around. This is a land filled with idolatry. The worship of money, the worship of sex, the worship of power, the worship of all kinds of stuff. We are idolatrous people. May we be liberated and embrace Jesus. And may we help others embrace Jesus. Amen? Okay. I love this quote by Danny Morris. He says, spiritual health is being able to walk in God's presence and enjoy Him for ourselves, yet still feel the world's hurts. Number two, (laughs) trust God as your inheritance and your provider. Trust the Lord to be your inheritance and your cup of blessing. He guards everything that's yours. Verse five, O Lord, you alone are my inheritance, my cup of blessing. Listen, whatever cards you may have been dealt in your life or whatever lot you've been given, can be altered if you make the Lord your inheritance and your cup of blessing. Did you know in the Old Testament there were 12 tribes of Israel and these 12 tribes came to a new land that God gave them called the promised land and based upon the size of the tribe, they they cast lots and they broke up the land and the larger tribes got bigger portions of land but there was one of the tribes, the tribe of Levi that was over the house of God, the tabernacle, the worship, the priesthood They didn't get any land. They didn't get an allotment of land. Well, they did. In each of the tribes, they got an area where their families could live and they could farm some of the land, but it was much smaller. You know what the scripture says their inheritance was? The Lord. God said to them, I will be your inheritance. Now you might go, wow, it sounds like the Levites were gypped. (laughs) Sounds like they got a bad end of the deal. I'm telling you, they got the best deal of all. Because the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. If God owns it all and you're part of that tribe, you own it with Him. You get it with Him, right? All creation. Here's the point the point is simply that God, as our inheritance, is the greatest thing that could ever happen to us. To know Him. You know, there have been a few times in my life, and many of you will relate to this, there have been a few times in my life, just a few times, I feel like maybe I touched the hem of his garment. Do you know what I mean? I had a moment with him that did something to me, it altered something inside of me. And I came away from that time, and every time it's ever happened, every time I've had those kinds of encounters with God's presence or his voice, I've always come away thinking, why am I chasing after anything else? Yes, it fades, and I have to fight for it, But every time I encounter something of God being my inheritance, I come away going, you're a billion times better than anything that this place can offer me. That's all a bunch of dirt and dust, but you're the gold that I'm looking for. Amen. I've shared this little story with you a number of times before. Brian Harris shares this, but he says, a young boy went to the local store with his mother. The shop owner was a really kind man, so he passed him a large jar of suckers and invited him him to help himself to a handful. Uncharacteristically, the boy held back, so the shop owner pulled out a handful for him. When they went outside, the boy's mother asked him why he had suddenly become so shy and wouldn't take a handful of suckers when they were offered to him. The boy replied, because that man's hand is much bigger than mine. Yeah, you know, that's a great picture of our relationship with God. You know, there's this story in the Bible where Abraham and Lot, Lot is Abraham's nephew, and, um, and one day, you know, they're recognizing that their tribesmen, those who take care of their animals are clashing, they're clashing over land and over pasture land, so there comes a day where Abraham comes to Lot, and Abraham is the covenant son of God, and he's already been told he's going to get this land for his descendants, and he's already been blessed by God, and he's rescued Lot, and he's taken care of him, and yet he comes to this day where they recognize they can't dwell together any longer. And he he goes to Lot and he says, Lot, you go out and choose whatever you want and I'll take whatever you don't take. And Lot goes out and he looks over the land. He looks towards Sodom and Gomorrah and he looks out and he sees it's all green and it's all lush. And he looks over at what Abraham will get and he kind of chuckles, (laughs) tumbleweeds. And he says, I'll take the green lush stuff. And when you look at it, you think, Abraham, you idiot. First of all, you're over Lot. You already rescued Lot. He's your nephew. You should have first choice. But Abraham understood something. He understood that he was a child of God, and he didn't need to grasp and hold on and fight for his little bit. It's precious. He understood that. He understood that he could trust God. He could trust God to take care of him. It's the same way with this little boy, and it's the same way in our lives. If we're making the Lord our inheritance, if we trust that He has good for us, we don't have to grasp and fight for every little inch. We can trust that in the end, He will make it up that whatever it is, He's committed to your care. He he says here in this text, He guards all that is yours. Whatever you need for your life to fulfill God's purpose and will, God will take care of it if you entrust it to His care. Amen? Oh, i got to move quickly here. You can trust the Lord to make your life boundaries and your inheritance wonderful. He goes on to say, you have a beautiful inheritance for me. We talk about land in this text, but for us, that land is the sphere of influence we'll have on people and places. You know, why don't you ask God, this year, Lord make my land bigger, make my borders greater, give me greater influence for Christ and for your kingdom. Let me touch more lives than I ever had before. Let me serve more people. Let me love more people. Let more people come to know your love and your grace and your kindness through me this year. Let them know self-giving love through my life this year and God will do it. How many of you know that's the kind of prayer that the Lord can get behind? Okay. Trust the Lord to be your guide and your counselor. David says, you, you bless me and you guide me and, and you counsel me. And you can trust the Lord to be with you and right beside you. He says in verse 8, I know the Lord's always with me. I won't be shaken for he's right beside me. He's with me. I love that. You can't be shaken. You won't be shaken. Anybody feel like they've been through some shaking the last couple years? The rest of you are lying. No, I'm just kidding. Now, Listen. Here's, here's kind of what that means. Imagine you're a tree and you've got deep, strong roots. They've been going down through hardship and difficulty. The wind comes and it blows and your branches might move. I'm doing an interpretive dance. This is a tree. Your branches might move. It might seem like you're shaking, but as long as your roots are in Him, you will not be shaken. Lastly, we can trust God as the keeper of our present and eternal life. Because you trust God, your heart can rejoice and be happy and your body at rest. That's what He says, no wonder my heart is glad and I rejoice and my body rests in safety. God can be trusted to care for us in life and death. We can lay down and sleep because He's always working on our behalf. You ever think about that? I'm a person that struggles with my sleep. This is my confession. I've been up since 3:30. I hate it. It's a struggle in my life. If you've ever been through it, you know it's kind of rough. But I want to tell you something. God doesn't need me to be up. He can work just fine while I'm sleeping. And I think this is something that so many of us need to learn. We need to learn that God will work on our behalf even while we're sleeping. He doesn't need your constant activity. He doesn't need you to miss sleep. He doesn't need you to work four jobs. You think, I got to work four jobs. Maybe you're trying to be God. Maybe you need to let God be God. Let Him care, work on your behalf. Amen. Because you trust God, you can trust there's a future resurrection and eternal life. David says, you won't leave my soul among the dead. You're not gonna leave me in a place of death. You're you're gonna care for me. You know, here's the beauty of the gospel because I know a lot of us don't like to talk about this. Did you know we're all gonna die? (laughs) Did you know that? We're all gonna die. Some of us are closer than others. And listen, just because you're young and vibrant, it doesn't mean you're going to live to your 90. We never know. We have no idea how much time we have. And every breath is a gift and every heartbeat is a gift. And you know, it's, it's possible that there's some people, and I, I'm not, don't, don't let this freak you out, it's just reality. There's possible there's some people sitting in this room that this will be your last year on earth and you'll walk into the presence of Jesus. And if you're a Christian, you don't need to be afraid of that. Yeah, it's unknown, and it's weird, and there is something about it that's a little scary, and I I admit I struggle with that. I think about death more than I ever have before. But the reality is that if you're a follower of Jesus, Jesus said, though you die, yet shall you live. Paul said, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. There's a place where Paul actually says, listen, I'm having a hard time choosing what to do. Either I can die and be with the Lord, which I much rather desire, or I can stay behind and help you in the Philippian church. Well, it's the Lord's will that I stay behind and help you for a little bit longer. I'm like, what? You talk about an eternal perspective. You talk about seeing the world differently. And this is what I want to say to you. The Lord's got your life and you belong to Him. And if you're a follower of Jesus, and you breathe your last, you are in the presence of God, and you live. Yeah, the people that are left behind, they hurt, and and they experience grief and loss, but you're in the presence of God, and you can trust God with your life and your death. David says that, I'm trusting you, that even if I die, you're going to bring me back. That's what he's saying. And wrapping it up, because you trust God, you can know the joy of His presence and the pleasures of living with Him forever. There is nothing like the presence of God. Noah gets up here a lot of weeks in the transition time and says, don't you just love the presence of God? I hope we're hearing it. He's pointing something out to us. There's someone among us every time we gather. It doesn't matter if you get a goosebump or not. He's here. And His presence is the greatest joy in life. We've already touched on this. He's our inheritance. He's our joy. Can you imagine what God could do with a church that was just after His presence like nothing else? We want you to be here in a way that can't be denied when we gather. And we want to take you out the doors into the world so people encounter a living God. How many of you want that? Amen.